You're listening to Absolute AI. Conversations with the humans behind artificial intelligence, where data scientists, ML researchers, startup founders, and enterprise execs talk about cutting-edge innovations and unique challenges posed by this new technological frontier. Tune in for interviews with leading experts to anticipate trends before they emerge. Hi, thanks for joining us on Absolute AI, conversations with the humans behind artificial intelligence. I'm your host, Melody Travers, and today I have the pleasure of speaking with Micah Doyer. Micah is an entrepreneur, educator, and executive with a twisted love for numbers. She supports organizations with strategy and innovation, new business model design, and validation. In 2020, she moved to Singapore, where she started Epic Angels, an investor network of female executives and operators who have built and expanded companies in all parts of the world. Their mission is to democratize angel investing by making it accessible and giving women the confidence to invest. Passionate about turning great ideas into real businesses, Micah is a regular speaker on management and innovation events, delivering keynote speeches and workshops about business model innovation, designing your future business, innovate like a startup, and think as a designer. She is a professor at universities and MBAs and is a mentor for several startup accelerators. Welcome to Absolute AI, Micah. Thank you. Great to be here. Uh, How are you doing today? Wonderful. It's a it's a great day in uh, in Singapore where I am where I currently am, and you have a beautiful view behind you. It looks a little cloudy out there. It is, it is, but it's <laughs> nice. Cloudy is nice in Singapore. It means it's not so hot. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah, same thing in Austin, Texas. <laughs> yes. um, so you grew up in Holland. Tell me about your journey from Holland to Singapore. Yes, I indeed grew up in this tiny country in the Netherlands and uh, in, in Europe. And um, I, was, I was at Business Models Inc. And uh, at our company, we created the book Business Model Generation. It's the famous business model canvas book. And uh, when, we, when we just launched the book, we were all excited, like, you know, who, if we can sell 10,000 copies, that's going to be amazing. But it turned <laughs> out um, uh, into a couple of million copies. And uh, people all over the world really loved the business model canvas. So what happened, I was uh, on a plane a lot uh, to fly everywhere all over the world to, to work with organizations around their business model canvas. And... Um, especially the United States, and we saw, we saw a lot happening. And uh, I mean, as we all know, the U.S. is the land of the opportunity. So uh, we were like, hey, if, if we want to be serious about this, we better expand into the United States. And um, together with my business partners, uh, we drew straws, like who's going to be the lucky one? And uh, I ended up being the lucky one uh, expanding <laughs> to the United States because we knew, you know, if you, if you want to expand overseas, um, you have to do it yourself. If you really mm. want to bring your company forward, you can't just outsource that. You have to do that yourself. So um, so we decided to move to San Francisco. My husband and I decided to move. Um, he quit his job and went with me. I'm a very lucky woman that, uh, that yes. I have a husband like, like that who <laughs> does that for me. So, uh, so he joined me uh, on our trip to San Francisco. And of course, looking into innovation and the innovation space, San Francisco is absolutely a Bay Area, is absolutely one of the big areas to be. Um, so uh, we decided to land there and to, to plan the flag for, uh, for <laughs> Business Models Inc. and to start our company there. 
so that's that's what I did in 2015 uh, when uh, when I moved to uh, to the United States. Wonderful. And tell me about the the mission of of Business Model Inc. Um, and a little bit more about the Business Model Canvas. What what innovative ideas were you guys bringing across the pond? Yeah. So what it is with the Business Model Canvas. It's because, I mean, before that, I was working in, in large consultancy firms. I was in M&A um, uh, doing a lot of transactions. And I wrote so many business plans, beautiful plans. <laughs> a lot of thinking went into it. But eventually what happens, it ends up in a drawer and no one is doing anything with it. And we were like, you know, that, that needs to change. <laughs> this, is, this is not sustainable. This is not helping anyone. I mean, writing business plan is beautiful, but by the end, by the end, the ink is dry, the world changed again, right? And mm -hmm. the other thing that we realized, no business plan ever survives that first customer contact. So it's it's a little bit useless. So we were like, you know, okay, like how can we do that? So with the business model canvas under our arms, we're like, you know, we need to do this in a different way. We have this whole notion of design thinking, a eh, big hype already for the, for the past decade, I would say, where it's all about being agile. And if you bring these two together, that design thinking with a tool like the business model canvas, it helps you to do things faster. And instead of writing a business plan, you can do your business model canvas. And the business model canvas basically is this one pager where you identify as an organization how you create, deliver, and capture value for your customers and for your own organization and how you do that. All in this one pager. And you can really put any business in there. So it helps you to be a bit more flexible because, hey, instead of doing one business plan, because that takes forever, you can now do multiple business canvases at the same, the same day even. And you can literally put them up on the wall. You can start to compare like, hey, if I would do this, then what does my business look like? But if I do the other thing, what does that look like? And you can actually put it next to each other. I'll try doing that with a business plan. That, that's going to be hard for you. And so, so with that notion and what we see, of course, startups loved it from the get go. They were immediately like, oh, give me this tool because I hate writing business plans anyway. It's, <laughs> yeah. a, you know, it's a waste of time. I need to focus on my product. I need to focus on my customers. Uh, but I do need to have that business sense. Hey, can this go anywhere? I, I do need to have that rationale. So they loved it immediately. And what you saw was corporates were like, hmm, you know, there's there's something interesting to it, but hey, how does that work? Because we're used to writing all these business plans. That's our culture. So the key thing that we were doing at Business Model Sync is, is really help organizations to innovate like startups. How can we help them to be more agile? I mean, at the same time, obviously, I also helped many startups because they were like, oh, you, you know more about this business model canvas. Can you please help me out? <laughs> how, do I, how do I put this in my pitch deck uh, towards my investors? Um, and how do I think about it? Help me to think about my different options. Because funny enough, we, we don't always think about different options for our business model. We sort of think like, yeah, it's just one model and we go. But there are many options that you can pursue. Yeah, uh one of the one of the things that I read that you said was uh disrupt before someone else disrupts you. And so that seems to dovetail really well in if you're not, you know, stagnant and married to your idea, then then you have that like you said agility to uh disrupt someone else's industry but also your own your own business. 
Yeah, and I think that's the key thing. Eh? Where, where I mean, startups, of course, they're trying to disrupt others, uh, and they want right. to make sure like oh, should, no one should disrupt us because then we're out of business right away. And so, so that that is their that's their core yeah. drive. But corporates are sometimes a little bit stuck to what they're doing today. I mean, I, I had it recently as well. We came up with a brilliant idea, and then one of the managers said, uh, "Yeah, but I don't know because this will kill our current business." And I'm like, oh, perfect. That means you're onto something excellent. Yeah. Because if, <laughs> if we can come up with it, someone else can as well. You know, the, yeah. that, that, is, that is not too difficult. Everyone is having those ideas. Of course, the question is who's going to put it into action. Uh, but if, if that thing is said during any meeting, if you hear it every, anywhere, make sure you get on it right away. Like, okay, this must be a really great idea because if it can kill our current business, then someone else can kill it as well. Let's, let's do it ourselves and you're in control. Yeah. Another, another, I think this was in your, uh, 10, 10 tips or tricks. Um, but you said <laughs> fall in love with the problem and not the solution. And I loved that as well. I see that all the time, especially in AI where, we, uh, people are so interested in like, how do we get some AI in there? How do we automate, um, without necessarily knowing what that model is supposed to do or how it's supposed to help? Yeah. And ha have you, uh, have you seen that specifically in that area as well? Uh, a lot. I think what I, <laughs> I see, it's interesting. Uh, it's, it's AI, it can be both overestimated and underestimated. It's, it's really fun to see that from the different angles. If I work together with corporates, um, most of the time it's overestimated about what AI can do. So we're, we're, we're thinking about, okay, we need to disrupt indeed. We need to come up with some new business models. We need to innovate. We need to transform our business. And then we're, we're sitting together. We're doing these brainstorms, uh, get experts in doing the research. And then always it ends up like, let's do AI. <laughs> okay. Um, what, what does that even mean to you? Do you, do you have any idea what you mean by saying AI? Yeah. Then everything just goes automatically. It's like, okay, <laughs> but tell me more. And, and they really believe that AI is sort of the Holy grail by just writing the word AI on a post-it and putting that in your business mode, like, ta-da, all of a sudden we have a different business. Well, that's right. not how it works. Right? You really need to understand then, first of all, what's your value proposition? What do you want to achieve? Uh, what's the problem that you want to solve for your customer uh, with your value proposition? And then what's the best way to actually bring that into action? And AI might absolutely be an enabler. AI is an amazing technology and can do great things for you, but it's not about AI as such. And you really need to think, how do I put this into something bigger? Um, at the same time, I was actually, it was, was two days ago, I was speaking with a startup who is uh, creating a, a beautiful platform and um, they just have the idea right now. So they're, they're at a very early stage. They don't have the platform yet. And like, yeah, it's all going to be AI based. And uh, we're, we're working on this right now and like spending a lot of money uh, with some engineers external because you don't have your resources yet and making it all AI. And it's like, but I said, look at your platform. What's the thing that you're really trying to solve for here? And Sure, maybe AI will help you uh, to do it faster, to do it better, et cetera, et cetera, more reliable. But why don't you start with just a simple version and uh, just uh, without the AI, because you don't need it right now. I think if I look at the problem that you're trying to solve here, 
I think you can do this manual as well for now, you know, your beta version. Of course, your later versions, you want to work on it, but first figure out what's the thing that you're really trying to solve for. How will your customers on your platform actually interact with each other before you spend a lot of money in, in building that technology behind it and then learn, mm, no one is waiting for this. <laughs> like, oh yeah, maybe you're right. Is it like, yeah, just try it. It's, you know, you can literally set up your platform tomorrow and launch a very low tech version and then learn as you go. And sure, then you can develop it into, into your next iteration of your platform. And so that was, so that's, that's what I very obviously like, let's throw an AI and all of a sudden it solves for everything. Right. And at the same time, the other, the other side of the coin that I often see, especially with startup entrepreneurs, I mean, I, I see all these pitches, all these business plans uh, or like pitch, pitch plans that are, um, that are passing me as an investor. Uh, and it's AI driven. Okay, cool. Uh, so then, uh, <laughs> then you end up in a conversation with the founders, like, What's, what's the AI element here? And even, even then they struggle. <laughs> it's, it's also a bit of a, of a word. You have to throw that in your, in your pitch deck. Uh, otherwise your investor will look at you. But if you, if you really dig a little deeper, you're like, mm, okay. <laughs> so that's, that's very interesting to see. Yeah. Yeah. And my last favorite tip that you gave was, um, was about validation, right? And uh, you said you need to discover the things you do not know. And uh, I, I thought of, you know, Socrates famous story of, of looking for the wisest person and everybody thought they knew things. And, and so he was like, Oh, I don't know anything at all. And so I must be the wisest person. Um, so how do you go about that? Uh, discovering the things that you, they, asking the questions you don't even know to ask yet, um, finding out those things, discovering those things that you, you don't even know that you didn't know. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's fascinating. It's, it's, it's dangerous sometimes. It's sometimes it's, you see that with, with some entrepreneurs as well. They, they really think they know everything. And then they don't even realize indeed that they don't know these things. And that's, that is very dangerous because no one knows everything. I mean, it's, uh, it's that curiosity uh, as if you're an innovator, if, if you're an entrepreneur, it's that curiosity that should drive you. And is, and, and the real is like, Ooh, I don't know everything. Cool. Right now I need to <laughs> dig deeper to figure out the things that I don't know. And you should see it really like that instead of like, Oh shit, I don't know any, everything. And it's not something to worry about. It's actually fun. And it's, it's this digging, it's this treasure hunt basically that you're on. Uh, like, like, okay, I need to find this treasure. So let's start digging. And I mean, one of the examples, what we were just discussing this platform, that I was discussing with one of the entrepreneurs. And um, I mean, uh, so he has this thing in mind, this is how it's going to work. Yeah, and then indeed building all the AI around it and, and, and making it a very high tech. It's like, we'll start with that low tech version because mm. then you'll discover those things that you do not know. Then you will figure out, oh, okay, I thought that people would have this and this available because there was, was an element in there that his assumption was that his customer would have certain assets available to put on that platform. And my personal assumption is that they don't, but I also don't know as we, <laughs> we, we both don't know. So there's right. only one way to figure that out and see, Hey, launch that platform uh, ask for those assets that you're asking for. And then see uh, if they actually have it. Yes or no. My assumption is they don't. Your assumption is they have, 
good, we have something to figure out here. And we'll probably, we probably are both wrong. That's the beauty of it. And there's probably a third option that we didn't even think about, but we'll learn that while we are doing that. And that's, that's the beauty, I think. Yeah, I had a conversation with a, an entrepreneur, serial entrepreneur, uh, Dennis Mortensen, and and he said, uh, you know, it's so easy for him to fall in love with an idea. Of course, he, uh, I think entrepreneurs are lovers, you know, <laughs> they, they, they throw themselves into things. Um, and he said that the validation process is, is the most important thing for him, where he, you know, gets trusted advisors together and, and works through all of the reasons that this idea should fail, that, that the assumptions are wrong to kill his darling, you know, to kill the love affair with this new idea. Um, anyway, so that that reminded me of that. <laughs> I look for that reverse, indeed, as you say. I look for the opposites, like in the let's let's go out and kill it. And and it's also the difference if you if you get out of the building because that's the whole thing, right? I mean, it's the lean startup thinking. Get out of the building, uh, validate your concepts. I mean, startups do that a bit more natural. Um, corporates really are really struggle with it um, and to actually get out of the building and speak with customers, especially if they're large customers. They're like, there's a sales department and I need to go through my sales team first before I speak with that customer. It's like, mm. why? You know, just go on LinkedIn and find find sort of a proxy for your customer and you can have this conversation tomorrow and you don't, you don't need to wait five weeks before you finally speak with that customer. So the first real issue is the getting out of the building. And then when they get out of the building, what happens? They turn into car salesmen, is how I always say it. <laughs> They're like, look, I made this. Isn't it amazing? And you're, you're fishing for compliments. And we're all human beings, so your customers lie to you. Uh, there's this whole book, of course, uh, about that. It's called The Mum Test. Uh, read it if you haven't yet. It's really, mm. it's really good about how, how your customers lie to you because what you're doing is you're, you're fishing for compliments uh, instead of really asking for the truth. Like, don't you just love this? And of course, we're like, yeah, I like it. Will they buy it? Probably not. Uh, but 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 that's that's the whole thing. And so what you need to do for if you're doing this validation and if you get out of the building with your customers, you have to look for evidence and not for opinions. And that is an, a big differentiator as well, because we all have our opinions. So like, no, 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 they liked it. But how do we really know? And how do we really know they liked it enough to mm. purchase it in the end? Because that's what we're looking for. Yeah, that's that's super important. Um and that gets to the the problem of data too, right? In my last conversation we were talking about how you need that you know that gut feeling and that intuition, you should trust that your experience, but you need to to have that paired with, you know, the hard the hard data to drive your decision yes. making. Yes. Yes. And, and in the beginning, it's just a few, it's, it's, it's qualitative data and that's sufficient. And then you, mm -hmm. then you start to expand on your, on your, on your uh, fidelity of your prototypes uh, and then you can expand and then you get into more quantitative data, but gathering the data and gathering the data yourself, don't outsource this to someone else to do that mm -hmm. customer research or anything, really do it yourself is, is critical. Why, why do you think that's important to do it yourself and instead of outsourcing it? Because I, I would think that that's having kind of a third party would be kind of an objective observer. Yeah, have the third party with you 
that's, I, oh, okay. I, I 100% agree with you. Do it together with someone because sometimes you don't really know mm. how to do this validation. Uh, but, um, and, and it's, and it's good that that third party will also force you like, nope, we're going to have this conversation right now. And you're like, okay. Um, <laughs> and so it's good to do it together. Um, and even if you're not comfortable because, you know, your, your job is in another field, but if you're not comfortable in asking all these questions, that's okay. Let, let that third party do it, but make sure you are there in that room with them as well. Mm. because um, you will hear other things. You will see other things because what happens is you've, you've done your ideation. You, you, you spend time internally in common. You came up with this idea and many other ideas as well. But this one idea is like, yeah, we're going to further validate that. Then you hire this third party to do that for you. I would say with you. Yeah, that's a, that's a better way of framing it. And if you let the third party do it, without you, you will miss all the snippets that were maybe not at all related to that one idea that you had, but you had like mm. 20 other ideas that came out of that ideation session or that you have on the back burner somewhere. So maybe those customers are actually saying things that are not related to this project, but are related to other projects. And that is super valuable, that insights that you will take immediately. Or maybe, you know, you took a sort of exit, you made some choices in your, in your, uh, for the, in your project development. And um, again, like then customers make a comment. You're like, hold on, that was a few stages back in our projects. Let's dive a little deeper. But that third party doesn't know because they haven't been part of this conversation. So they will miss those clues that are popping up in that conversation. And that's why you have to be there. And this is this information is so valuable, not only for this specific product or project that you're on right now, but probably also for other projects in your organization. Absolute AI is sponsored by Inadata, a leading data engineering company. From startups to enterprise, Inadata delivers ground truth training data and customized AI services and platforms at scale. Learn more at Inadata.com. So talk to me about the business model shift from from physical into digital um, and and how do you see AI's role in this sort of transformation that's happening? I mean, it's, it's of course a big shift. And what we've done is we analyzed a few hundred business models and looked at what are sort of the most common shifts that we see. And we put that together in a book, it's called uh, Business Model Shifts, uh, where we identified the six major patterns in, in it. And what's great about that, once you start to analyze these shifts, you can actually see the pattern in that business model canvas. And even if you are you are not in that pattern yet yourself, but you're like, I should explore that. You can now take that pattern and just put it on top of yours and see what would that do? And so it's a really nice way to, to in a systematic way, look at this shift and, and try to apply it yourself as well. So going from physical to digital is absolutely something, of course, that's a big trend definitely driven by COVID further uh, because all of yeah. a sudden everything had to be digital. But here comes the fun thing. So, so many organizations, they just thought, okay, I'll just open a website and I'm done, right? All of a sudden I'm digital. But that's not really what, what we mean with digital. It doesn't mean that you have a web page 
it it really means that your value proposition is shifting and that you're you're offering a service in a complete different way than what you did before and that means that maybe even your customer segment ultimately is changing uh, but mm-hmm. but i mean it's so it's not just a channel by going digital it really is much more and indeed you also need to look at so how how does my value proposition change and how can indeed tech enable this new value proposition to my customers how can we have um, ai at the core because it is an, it is an amazing technology of course that's out there that can that can really help you with your value proposition that can help basically mass personalization uh, that mm. because that's what it is about you want to make yeah. sure that this customer still feels unique as if it's an an, an offline offering how can how can you offer that that mass personalization and ai can help yeah. you with that uh, by 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 steering into that direction yeah, I, I think about, you know, my my favorite coffee shop. I walk in and, you know, it's the cheers. Everybody knows your name. You get a, you know, a high five or a wave and that how do you bring that into your into your digital product? And um that's something that we've been working on at Inadata a lot is uh is personalizing our, our outreach and and interactions with with people. Yeah, and I think this is just amazing. You can do so much more because indeed Doing that offline, that, that, that takes forever and, and that mm-hmm. you need a lot of resources to do that, yeah. which doesn't help you if you want to scale your business. Right. But if you really want to scale and if you have AI at the core, your scalability can go so much faster if you, if you do that right from the start and you can really get into an exponential growth. You, you have to have AI at the core. Um, that, that is a key thing. I mean, it, it doesn't mean, oh, it's just a, a plug and play. <laughs> that's, and because again, that, that is unfortunately what many, many people still think. And many managers that I speak with, I'll oh, just plug it in and ta-da, it happens. No, it doesn't, right? It really means that you need to start small, uh, but building that with this technology in mind. And again, you do it without the technology first, because you need to learn how does that interaction go? Because you need to know what the AI needs to do. The AI won't figure it out for you yet. I mean, we're, we're moving definitely in the direction uh, where they, I can do much more for you and uh, where we're even going into uh, uh, from low code to no code. Uh, that's, that's yes. of course, amazing. If you see this trend happening right now, how, um, you know, in a few years, we might be able to just say like, uh, hey, dear, um, uh, Hey there, code writer, could you, could you create this and this program for me? And it will actually be able to do that, right? Right now, you already see snippets of that uh, where, uh, where the AI can actually say like, Hey, you, you did this code now. It's not so smart. Uh, you should, uh, you sh- you actually did a bit of a shortcut here. Uh, why don't you ins- use this p- piece of code as well? Because your, uh, your technology will be much stronger. So you do see, more and more starting to evolve, but still we need to train it, right? The system needs to have seen this example first. And, and that's where we still are at. And we need to make, we need to know ourselves what good looks like. Yeah. That's a great point. That is not something that, that the AI will do for us yet. And so we need to identify what does good look like? We really need to understand it. But then if you build it, your scalability can go super, super fast. That's where it comes in. So 
we've kind of talked around it a little bit, but um, you're, I want to talk about your work with Epic Angels, um, why you have so much contact with so many different types of companies. And as an investor, um, I think the the mission is so uh, is just fantastic to democratize democratize angel investing. Um, I read on there that research shows that investors tend to back those that they perceive as similar to themselves, which is kind of obvious, but sometimes you need research to to really point that <laughs> out. And so, um, yeah, I think that that's so important in, in trying to close this kind of financial gender gap. Um, so talk to me about uh, founding Epic Angels and um, how you guys have evolved and uh, and what you're really excited about. So when I moved um, in, the, in the summer of 2020, I moved from, from San Francisco to Singapore. And in San Francisco, Silicon Valley, I mean, it almost, you know, talking about investing is almost like getting a coffee. You know, it's, it's so extreme. <laughs> I mean, it, it's, it's not a weird topic to discuss. Eh? You, can, you can discuss it with anyone and it's, it's, it's nothing special almost. Uh, getting to Singapore... I realized like, oh, wow, it, it feels very elite here talking about mm. angel investing. Because if you said that you're an angel investor, people were like, whoa, you're an angel investor. Like, that's, that's, not, that's nothing special. <laughs> um, I mean, and, and it, the, the barriers to enter in the United States in angel investing, are there, it's pretty low. You know, I, I, a lot of people can enter angel investing. But here in Singapore, like, whoa, the bar is really, really high. And uh, so that was that was my first realization. Like oh, that's odd. Um, and then the other thing is as well. I saw when you're new, you're you're meeting people. Um, a lot of virtual, unfortunately, uh, driven by COVID. But but especially Singapore uh, was was pretty open, uh, so we could meet people. And you meet another a lot of uh, like-minded women that are in in, in executive positions. Uh, uh, so so earn their own money. They are an accredited investor, as it's called. Uh, so they qualify of being an angel investor. And, and so you end in these conversations and, and I started to talk about angel investing. And then most of these women were like, no, 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 I, I don't do anything like that. So wh why not? Because, ah. And then it was really like, yeah, because I don't know how to, it always sounds cool and I read about it, but I don't know how. It's like, huh, that's interesting. And so, so I saw these two things. It's like, one is it felt like immediately you need to invest 100K in a startup or so if you want to start with angel investing. That's a big barrier. I mean, I, mean, I also don't have that confidence to put that money in. No matter how much you have, that's a lot of money eh, to, right. to put into a company. So uh, what, what we realized is like, if we, if we put these women together... And that was, that was the hypothesis, like, because if I do my research, I do my due diligence, I've been reading about this, this industry, speaking with the founder, going through the pitch deck and going through the data room. And I think it's a great idea. And I hate this other lady that's a COO at another uh, good organization. She also did her homework and she also thinks it's a good idea. Okay, good. Now I feel more confident about actually yeah. writing that check. I mean, it's still my own opinion. And I decide myself, but it helps uh, with some like-minded people to speak about it and to hear what's your opinion. Because, hey, I don't know that much about this industry. You actually know more about this. Great. You also think that's a good idea. So it helps each other to get the confidence to actually to start to invest. And uh, as you said, I mean, there's a lot of conversations about funding female founders um, and, and we're trying to convince these investors to invest in female founders. But if you look at the population of investors, it's almost all male. 
it's very interesting. There, there, there are barely any female investors out there. So it's like, how is that possible? And it is human nature indeed to, to, to support someone who is a little bit like-minded. That's just, you know, that's just human nature. Um, and indeed uh, backed up by this research now. So I'm like, but I don't think the real problem is we're, we're not funding female founders. I think the real issue is they're not enough female investors. Hmm. I love how you turn that on its head. Yeah, we need to increase that pie, right? We really need to make sure that that there's so many fabulous women out there um, that 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 want to start with angel investing, but it is it is a bit of a hurdle to get in and to get started, and that's what we're trying to solve for with Epic Angels, like making sure that women get the confidence and and actually, you know, you start by dipping your toes in, and then you'll you'll build your confidence so that we can have more female investors, and in the end, backing more female founders. That's awesome. So when you're when you're looking for uh, potential fa- founders, um, are you really looking for a great idea? Are you looking for a person like a certain personality trait? What are what are you looking for in a founder? Yeah. So it's it's. I mean, we we, we receive a, a lot of pitches. <laughs> uh, yeah, indeed, a team. Yeah, we receive a lot of pitch decks uh, literally every day, um, and it, because um, I build a lot of partnership with accelerator programs, uh, so they now know as well. Like, hey, it's good. There's a group of female investors, and uh, so because yeah. it is funny. Like startups are also act, especially if it's a female founder they're also actively looking for female investors. Like, I don't oh. want all these guys on my cap table. Um, how weird is that, right? So I want, I want some women as well, but apparently it's hard. So, so it's good. So, so we receive a lot of pitches because, I mean, funny enough, our goal is not to only found, uh, fund female founders. Our, our goal in the end is we want to have a good financial return, obviously. I mean, that's, that's, you know, that's, that's why you're doing angel <laughs> investing. So um, if I say only female founders, I eliminate a lot of good startups. So we didn't want to do that. We did say at least 50% should be female founder, sure. Uh, and, and the other thing, um, if it's the executive team should at least have some women in there, right? If it's, a, if it's only guys, I mean, I talk with them sometimes and I think it's a good idea. And then I want to have that conversation with them. But if, I, if they don't pick up on it, I'm like, okay, no, this is, this is going a little too far. Uh, but, but so it's important, but it's, it's not exclusive, but funny enough, the majority of the pitch decks that we receive is female founders huh. <laughs> at this moment, there's only been one co- company in our portfolio that we funded that is not a female founder. And there's a, there's only one. And so, it, and, and I mean, our goal is at least 50%. So we're, we're definitely right. are way over <laughs> well that goal. Well above so, and beyond that. <laughs> exactly. So we, so it, it you know, you, you do find each other, so to say. And, um, um, and so, so, but back to like, what are you looking for in a team? So you see the idea and sometimes it is in an industry where you're like, maybe not so familiar with. Um, so, but then you're like, okay, there is something to this. And that's what I also always say to these new angels because they read the pitch decks and they're like, "Oh, but how do I do my due diligence?" I said, "Well, you read your pitch deck, but if you if there's something in there that sparks your interest, let's immediately have a conversation with the founders hmm. because that conversation will completely change your mind. You can do due diligence, whatever you like about this industry, about the country, about the tech, whatever it is." But the conversation with the founders is at the core, uh, and and how we're the way we frame it is like we're 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 looking for founders who refuse to die, um, 
and uh, <laughs> refuse to die because they choose agility over ego. Hmm. And because some also refuse to die because they're too stubborn. Um, but it's really about like, Hey, can you, can you do, are you agile enough to set aside your ego and really listen to the customer and really figuring out what is the problem that I'm trying to solve for and how can I solve for that in the best way? And that, that's what we're looking for. And so, so does the founder have that? Uh, and is that founder interested as well? Because it is, um, uh, you need to be ready for that hustle. I mean, uh, it's a, it's, it's a word that's, that's been, um, has a little bit of a negative vibe these days, unfortunately, but in the end, that's what it is. Like, are you creative enough? Are you curious enough to continuously dig for, for these answers, for the things you do not know yet, eh? what we sort of spoke about earlier in our conversation. Mm-hmm. The other thing, so that's one thing, I eh? refuse to die. It has to be a team. And uh, I, we never invest in single founders. And what about the team dynamics? Is this indeed a good team? That is another thing that we want to check. So sometimes only in the first conversation, only one of them pops up eh, to have that conversation. And I'm like, we do want to see your co-founder as well, or at least your, your executive team that you've, that you've created here. We want to hear the dynamics between the two, between the two, three or four of you. And that is very important as well. How do they work as a team? Because in the end, I mean, there's so many people with so many good ideas, but it's all about the execution. Can mm-hmm. you bring this alive? And can you bring this to the next level uh, with, with enough agility to, to get there? Yeah, and I I think uh, there's there's co- kind of this infatuation with the rugged individual. I feel like that's a very American idea, you know, propping up one one founder. Um, but you have to have somebody who's who can work with other people and and bring all of those people along with them, um, which is which is like which is a skill, as you said, um, that's so important. And I I I don't feel like I, I feel like people know that, but people don't talk about it that much. They don't talk about teams. They talk even in my question, um, <laughs> which I tried to cor- co- yeah. correct, right? Um, the founder versus founders. Um, and I, I have seen that more and more that um, people write co-founder um, on their LinkedIn profiles now as opposed to to a singular, which I think is really cool. Yeah. And I mean, no individual has total skill sets. It's it's impossible. And I mean, as an investor, of course, you're always thinking, could this company become a unicorn? Because we're looking for that exit. So you want to see potential growth, at least an opportunity in there. You can't get to a unicorn on your own. That's, that's, that's not, not possible. And you have to do this with a team. So who is, who is that core team that's running this and what are the different skill sets? Um, or, and, and sometimes, especially with younger teams and younger startups, because they're just on this journey, they don't have enough money to hire people. But then we have the conversation about, so what's your next hire? Mm. Do you, re- because sometimes you see a gap, like, okay, there's a, ga- a skill gap here in the team. So then instead of pointing it out, my question is always, so who's your next hire? Because I want to hear whether you realize there is a gap in this area uh, and that you're actively looking for that. Or once you have the funds that you know that that's going to be your next hire, because that's your critical skill set that you need for your for your next stage. Absolutely. So what technologies or or even industries do you do you see as really ripe for disruption that technology um, 
will be transforming in the next few years? I do think that, um, I think the, one of the biggest areas that I see is definitely in the healthcare uh, biotech uh, area. Uh, I feel that this is, even though a lot is happening already, I really feel it's just at the beginning. I really feel we're just trying to figure out nature because that's in the end what it is, right? <laughs> Especially if you look into biotech that, and that leads into healthcare eventually. Um, there's, there's, there's so much happening in, in nature and we just, we still don't know. And so we're still trying to, to decode nature and trying to understand that. And, and we're getting closer and closer to that, right? Things go faster and faster. And like here in Singapore, for example, uh, it's, uh, with lab grown meats uh, is a very mm. big thing. Uh, the first mm -hmm. lab grown chicken uh, came here, was, uh, came here out of Singapore, um, and that is quite something that we're capable right now to, to simulate nature uh, because that's what it is and produce something that we can actually eat. And that actually uh, gives us uh, everything that we need as human beings uh, to, to be able to walk around. So, and, and that is that, that's that decoding that we're currently working on that we're trying to do. And right now it's pretty expensive still. Uh, to to create this 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 lab grown chicken the same with uh, all the the the, the plant based uh, what we're mm -hmm. trying to do uh, where we're we, because we know we have an issue and uh, we do need to think different about our ingredients and about all the all the sources that nature provides us um, but uh, it still is very expensive right now to create something like that but I feel with technology is that we can do this faster and faster. We're discovering more and more, and, and that will allow us to, instead of spending millions uh, on, the, on coming up with uh, this lab-grown chicken, it might be that with only 50K, you're able to do this. Hmm. So, so how can we, how can we really change that, change that game, um, uh, to, to get closer there? So I think that's a huge area uh, where I see a lot of disruption. I think the other part is also quantum computing. Mm. Um, and we hear slowly, we hear more and more. I mean, I've been working with, with one of our customers in, in the Bay Area and they have their innovation lab. And I know that already for a few years, they have this quantum team um, active uh, and it's, and it's really good how, and they, so they're right now, it's not yet their, their business and it's not yet integrated in their core, but they also realize it's going to come, right? It's going to come. And it's just like AI, you know, we need to understand the capability of that. And that's the same with quantum computing as well. You need to understand. So what does it do? Because everything will go so much faster and uh, it, it will it will help us. I mean, what I said just now about like the the biotech and how now right now it takes it takes longer mm -hmm. with quantum computing, we can actually do that much much faster. So we can get to solutions faster, meaning cheaper. And so so there there is this 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 thing now that's going to happen. I funny enough, I don't see many startups yet in that space, or maybe they just don't reach me yet. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I'm, I'm a little surprised about that. Uh, funny enough, I see more in the corporate space. I mean, on the other hand, of course, because of uh, funds. I mean, there's there, you, you don't have the funds as a startup to immediately start with quantum computing because it's 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 pretty expensive and and right. the, the knowledge is pretty scarce. Uh, there, there are only a few people that are, that are really big at this. And so, 
from that perspective, it makes sense that the corporates have more funds available to actually right. start doing this. Uh, but but that's that's an area where I definitely expect um, uh, we can we can see a lot happening. Yeah, I actually had a guest on recently that works for a quantum computing company, and we were talking about again this um, physical to digital type of thing. Yeah. Um, the physical boundaries that are still there that are um, that we're working on every day when there's going to be this sort of tipping point when the theoretical becomes the actual. Um, and, and so he was talking about, um, you know, the, the superconductors and, and the, yeah, the, the, the physical expense. And, and at this point, quantum computing is a lot like your lab made chicken, right? I mean, it's, um, it's theory. They've, they've done it. They've done some of it. Um, but yeah, in the, in the future, hopefully that will, that will open up as well and, and become less expensive and, um, more widely available so that there can be more startups that, that integrate that, um, okay, so uh, we're going to start wrapping up. Um, but I, I always like to ask this kind of silly question. Um, if you were to write a sci-fi novel about the year 2041, what does the world look like and have the robots taken over? Robots <laughs> <laughs> taken over. I love that one. <laughs> um, I think uh, Asia is going to be the center of the world in uh, in 2041. Mm. Um, I mean, so I, I I lived in Europe, United States, and now in uh, now in Asia. I mean, I always joke, Europe is is retired. You know, everyone has a life that's just too good. So there's not a lot of urgency to really reinvent themselves. Why wouldn't you? Because you have a really really nice life. So I, I will retire, by the way, in Europe. But that's that's later on. <laughs> I hope to um, as well. <laughs> <laughs> right? You see, we all want to go to Europe just for retirement. So Europe is retired. United States is uh, very much internal focused is what I see mm. and can't blame United States because it's such a massive country with so much opportunity just inside. So there is hardly any motivation. There's no urgency to look beyond the borders uh, because mm. there is already all this opportunity. And then there's Asia. And what I see right now here in Asia, it's sort of the juveniles and they're, and they're, they're turning into these, into these adults slowly and slowly. Some are hitting puberty right now. You're like, Hey, start behaving a little better. Uh, <laughs> but, but I do see that happening. So, so 2041, um, as you're saying at 20 years from now, um, they're the grown-ups, right? So, and they are, they're the generation and they're in their, in their thirties and their mid thirties that are going to, that are going to drive. And I really think that that's going to happen. There is so much opportunity here in this region. Of course, there's massive population as well. Uh, the, the way that they go with technology, also driven by COVID right now, it goes so much faster here than it, than it went in any other part of the world. Uh, there is capital. There's a lot of capital available in, the, in Asia as well. There's amazing schooling. Uh, so the education at heart is really good. So I can definitely see 2041, um, how, that, uh, how that completely changed the world. Uh, will there be robots? Yes, we, you know, we will uh, <laughs> hopefully be uh, be using that, but only using uh, using the robots um, 
basically uh, to to further enable human interaction, I would say, and like using robots, like like autonomous cars, and I really hope it's there because you know it's just a thing that you that will get you from one place to another place, and you don't need to think about that anymore. And so it will it will take a lot away a lot of noise, and and that will be taken care for us, so that we can focus on the things that we as humans are good at and that we enjoy doing. So. Lovely. I love that. Um, so let's wrap up with some calls to action. Um, how do people learn more about you or reach out? LinkedIn is a really good source. If you want to get in touch with me, you can find me on there, Mikey Doyer, and I will respond to the messages on there as well. And of course, if you are a startup and you're like, I have a pitch that the Epic Angels should take a look at, uh, you can go to our website, epicangelnetwork.com. And you can submit your pitch through our website. And of course, if you are a female angel investor, you can find us there as well. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for joining me, Micah, and sharing your amazing expertise. It was a real pleasure speaking with you today. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in. We make this program for listeners like you. So if you enjoyed this episode, share it with your community, write a review or drop us five stars. Every little bit helps spread the word. See you next time.